politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen to the one and only source of truly independent conservative news and views. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here at CR Podcast for, unfortunately, the last time this year. Yes, I know it's only Friday, December 16th. Why are we ending so early? Um, I'd go another week, but all good things do close up right before Christmas here at The Blaze. But folks, first off, I will be putting out videos at the CR Podcast Rumble page that maybe I should use more often in general. You can get me on Telegram at C19TruthBombs, email Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. And again, I will I, I will be doing writing. So my columns um, look at the blaze or if they're COVID stuff, it's usually going to be at conservativereview.com. You could also sign up at Conservative Review for our newsletter we have a daily letter with uh, different news articles, so my articles would be in there for those of you who don't know where to find me. And yes, I'm still not on Twitter. Who knows what's going to be with that? But we are waiting patiently. But wow, it's been a long year. It's been an amazing year. This is truly a year I feel like we've collaborated. I've learned so much from a lot of your emails, a lot of your ideas. We, we truly try to skate to where the puck is headed. This is the first year in my career I feel like I not only caught up, but tried to get ahead of the next thing. You know, typically, the problem is we don't even realize we're being screwed. Like, I didn't see COVID coming a mile away. I had no idea our own government would commit bioterrorism on us. But now that we do know, we try to be ahead of it, ahead of the next current thing, ahead of what we can be doing strategically, what we can be doing legislatively, elections, all of it. It's, it's truly been a terrific year, which is why it's just so uh, almost frustrating to, to end this couple days earlier than I wanted. But I'll be out, be traveling for a couple of days. So early next week, I'll be a little bit quiet. But then thereafter, I'm going to keep it up. Um, I don't stop. And it's going to be tough because as soon as we get back is going to be the speaker's election. And I'm going to be working a lot on that. And, and there's so many lessons from that. Uh, today we're going to have a special guest on, Lara Logan, to discuss the state of conservative media as well as Ukraine. She's a war correspondent and knows uh, you know, what's going on on the ground more than anyone. So I figure that's something that's important to cover before we sew up for the year. Um, but yeah, I mean, the speaker's race. There are so many lessons to be learned. You know, we always wonder, we're always looking for that one man who's riding on the horse. And, and I told you, you got to build a movement. It's never going to be one person. But ironically, you literally have Andy Biggs from Arizona put his name out. Because that's always the problem. No one puts their name out, so no one spawns a choice. And no one wants to put their name out. So the Speaker's election was a unique situation in which any five members... Because it's such a narrow majority and you need a full majority to be elected speaker on the floor on January 3rd. Any five members are say, we're just not voting for him. You can have as many ballots as you want. He is unacceptable. That's a very hard thing to do. They're pressuring and saying, oh, a Democrat's going to wind up becoming speaker. It's not true. Um, and you're holding up the committee assignments and the committee chairmanships and we can't get our subpoenas started. It's all theater. It's all theater, by the, by the way. It's meaningless. 
fake conservative talk show hosts are upset because they want the game to go on. So finally, here we have people that are like, we're going to force surgery. How many people are with them? How many other talk show hosts do you know endorsing them? They range from downright supporting McCarthy to being silent. And this is the problem. And I'll, I'll tell you, if nothing else happens, if Kevin McCarthy you know, becomes a speaker, we still already force concessions from him that would have never been gotten had it been left to the devices of the legacy baby boomer talk radio crowd. And that's the lesson. If you don't do surgery, you will not heal the, the, the problem. Just a couple of um couple of points from from last night. So we got screwed as we as we knew would happen. They voted for the for the seven day CR so they could pass the omnibus next week and they'll they'll pass it. There's nothing we can do to stop it now because Kevin McCarthy didn't stand up to it in September when he could have because conservative talk radio did not focus on it when they could have and should have. And last night, all but 19 Republican senators voted for the thing. Every single Democrat. Every single Democrat. And more than half the Republicans. And again, those 19 is being generous because a lot of them really aren't with us, but they figured, okay, why piss off conservatives? They have the votes anyway. But even then, it was only 19. Only 19 Republicans would oppose codifying the tyrannical agenda in a way that undercuts your ability with the GOP majority coming in, if you believe it's worth something, which every Republican does, to do anything about it. That's how broken this party is. There's your 80-20 majority. I think it's more like 90-10, but okay, let's say 80-20. And notice this is always the same theme. Democrats, no matter how radical the proposition, they are in lockstep, lockstep, completely in lockstep, and Republicans are always voting with them. This is unsustainable. We, we, we can't just be like, oh, okay, you know, the election. We are the, clo- we are the farthest away from the next election you could be because we're immediately following the previous election. So there's no time like the present to do surgery, especially when everyone's very down in how dismal Republicans performed. Except for me, <laughs> because I actually think we have a better chance of, of changing things like this. But, but this is the sort of strategic thinking we need. This is what we need. Let me give you an in- interesting example last night. Another thing that happened... It's a pretty radical proposition to make Puerto Rico an American state. We have 50 states. You know, we added states throughout our history, but we haven't in, in, in ages. And it's pretty set. We're not adding more states. But to take on something like Puerto Rico, which is so problematically run, you'd be taking on so many liabilities. Right? You, you would say that's a pretty radical and transformational idea. And just on the fly, like there was no even like media buildup to it. Last night, the House voted to give them statehood. 
Now, they knew it wouldn't go anywhere in the Senate. They didn't have time. They ran out the clock on the time there. It's not going to pass in the Senate. It's not going to be brought up. But it did pass the House. Remember, Democrats have a two-seat majority, and I looked. And even something that radical and transformational, every single House Democrat, so I mean, maybe a couple of them weren't present and didn't vote, but there's two, like 216 or whatever now they're present. Everyone voted for it. And 16 Republicans joined them, even on something like that. But then I was thinking to myself, you know what, maybe it's a good thing. Because it, it fits into our chaos theory. You know what, maybe we should support making Puerto Rico and D.C. states. Because you know what that would do? That would officially, on paper, make it that pretty much forever, Democrats would have a permanent majority in both chambers. Because it would give them four more senators and whatever, you know, I don't know, five, six, seven more House seats together. And I'm thinking, like, they have it anyway. They have a 90-10 majority in the Senate. They have, I mean, depending on where you want to draw the line, but let's just say 330 to 100 or so majority in the House. They have it anyway. Okay? And that's being very generous to say that there's 100 Republicans that aren't subversive. So let's just make it official. That's what's happening anyway. So I want to slay that dragon so nobody in conservative politics and media could, could continue to lie to you and put their hopes in, in the same strategies, same ideas, same focus. We're going to have to do something different. That's just, just a little bit of chaos theory. There's one other thing that happened last night I want to get to. But first, our sponsor today, Policy Genius. Folks, I don't mean to be morbid, but especially those of you who got the shots. Um, look, died suddenly is everywhere. Can you imagine how many people, it's very sad, in their 30s, 40s, 50s, are leaving families without enough coverage? Most people, if they only get it from their job, they usually need 10 times more to support a family than what they get from a typical employer plan. You need to take out an individual plan typically. But it's tough. It's tough to find cheap rates. And believe me, they will go up very soon. So if you head over to policygenius.com slash Daniel, they don't sell you insurance. What they do is they aggregate for you online a personalized quote, apples to apples comparison, best price. You could save 50% or more on life insurance if you compare with Policy Genius's quotes. Also, you could call their um, their hotline. They have licensed experts that could help you understand the different options, walk you through it. Their team works for you, not the insurance companies, so you could trust them for an unbiased uh, assessment and appraisal. Policy Genius doesn't add extra fees. Policy Genius doesn't sell it to third parties. It takes just a couple minutes. Since 2014, Policy Genius has helped over 30 million people shop for insurance and placed $120 billion in coverage. So head over to policygenius.com slash Daniel to get your free life insurance quotes at better prices while you still can. And, and boy, oh boy, is it while you still can. What is it? This is, uh, I saw at uh, Daily Skeptic in the UK, he had an interesting measure that 
that the number of non-respiratory deaths in the UK is going to be 10% higher than expected in 2022. And that's astounding. Because what non-respiratory mortality, a couple things. Number one, it tells you it's not COVID, right? So you can never blame that on COVID. It's non-respiratory. But number two is non-respiratory mortality. Unlike respiratory mortality, it really doesn't fluctuate. It doesn't fluctuate beyond a percentage in a given year. So when you have a 10% increase, that's insane. That is insane. But here we are, only one Republican governor willing to look into this, willing to raise red flags, even after almost two years worth of data. How do we change that? We can't continue to play catch up We can't continue to have the Republicans that supposedly represent us make irrevocable decisions based on panic and sudden demands and sudden sudden spirit of the age and outrage and groundswell and coolness. We need to drive that outrage and demand and outrage monger policy decisions for our purposes. And no one else is joining me in doing that, but that's what we need to do. Um, by the way, so I, I forgot to mention the other thing they passed last night was the NDAA, the Defense Authorization Bill. And yes, I mean, again, the theme of too little, too late. It does have, uh, it does get rid of the COVID mandate, the shot mandate that is. They should have thrown in masks there because that still happens in some capacity. And and I, and presumably that's why some conservatives voted for it, even though it funds the woke and broke stuff and all this Ukraine and this and that. But I, I I get it. I get it that that concession was given. A, it was only because we made that demand of McCarthy. So you actually see that when you make a demand, somehow this, oh, we can't do anything goes out the window. So that's lesson number one. But lesson number two is, yeah, I mean, really? So now we won't quite kick out new people when it barely affects anyone new at this point, maybe in the future. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't have back pay and reinstate the ones kicked out. So, again, I just want to show you how radical the Republican Party is. Even in red states. So Senator Ron Johnson had an amendment to the NDAA was offered an amendment. And, you know, it was a simple proposition. Everyone agrees you shouldn't have mandates in the military now. And that's why, as a baseline, it's in the bill. So yeah, it had an amendment. It wasn't to ban the shots, which they should be. It wasn't trials and executions. It was just simply the current bill waits 30 days to apply it. And, you know, why should you give them another 30 days to fire people if we're all agreeing it needs to end? So it would, you know, make it effective immediately. Number two, it would prevent future mandates. Um, But I think only for COVID. It wasn't like other shots. It didn't even cover that. And then most importantly, it would reinstate those who were kicked out with back pay. I mean, simple, 
thing. I mean, really, these the people pushing it belong in jail and belong to be executed. This thing is dangerous. I mean, and everyone agrees, you know, obviously it doesn't stop critical illness either, but, but you know, the left has to agree now. It doesn't stop transmission, never did. So it was a mistake. How do you, how do you destroy the military careers? Something this obvious. But even that, every single Democrat, yes, including Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin and four Republicans voted against the Johnson Amendment. Romney, Collins, but also Rounds and Cassidy. Rounds is from, from South Dakota. Cassidy's from Louisiana. And again, I warned about all these people from the day that they were running for Senate. But we didn't have a movement in place. Skating to where the puck was. This is how we have deep red states with the most subversive leftist communist Republicans. I don't know how to call that. That's radical beyond belief. And again, it's worse than that because really, again... The real vote is not, oh, you know, just those four Republicans. It's more like the CR and then the omnibus bill. That's the real vote because that's what's going to ultimately consummate the Democrat policies. This was a freebie vote because they knew all the Democrats would oppose it. And also the threshold was set at 60 votes. So there was no way the Johnson Amendment was ever going to pass anyway. So it was a freebie where Republicans could, you know, hope yes, vote no type of deal. I mean, in this case, it's a yes vote, but you get the point. And still... You know, a Republican from Utah, South Dakota, and Louisiana voted against it. This is how subversive it is. We need to do surgery, finally, on this party. You know, here's what a joke it is. This is from Politico Playbook. Few say it out loud, but most Republicans know that clearing an omnibus now is a political gift to McCarthy. Everything I know is that McCarthy is privately cheering us on to get it done, but he's in this position of trying to get to votes for a speaker, said one anonymous GOP senator to Alex Bolton of The Hill. And I know Alex. Alex interviews me sometimes for comments. He, he has good sources. This is definitely true. So this is the game. This is why, see, here's the game. This is going to go on for the next two years where McConnell is openly a suicide bomber. So he'll work for McCarthy. It will, it will look like it's McConnell versus McCarthy, but it's not. It's a, it's a one-step, two-step, do-side-do at the corner. They're dancing together. They know McCarthy is only doing it to put on a show for the Freedom Caucus and theater for Fox cable news hosts and phony conservative talk radio show hosts. So therefore, he knows that he can get away with it. This is un- untenable. We can't have a guy like this. And again, nothing is going to happen at a federal level. What we need to do is do surgery, accentuate the fraud, expose the fraud that we know is there and it's harming us. But it's like... You know, try convincing someone to get a surgery that they need that they don't want. Well, you got to convince them they need it. The Republican Party is killing us. And we need to show it. A guy like McCarthy is dangerous because what he does is he puts on theater. I'm telling you, you're going to have these endless Jim Jordan, James Comer hearings on, 
Oh, the Biden crime family, Biden this, the Democrats this, ah, uh, you know. And it will create so much great fodder for the click-servative ecosphere. But it won't do anything for us. It won't fight the issues that matter in the time they matter, the way they matter. And then that will help us build momentum to do this stuff in the States. And this ties us into our next issue and our next guest. So folks, when you think of an issue for which we're skating behind the puck, not to where the puck is headed, where we're always playing catch-up, where we're focusing on the issues that don't matter in the way they don't matter, or more importantly, at the time they don't matter, it's Ukraine. Finally, almost a year after irrevocably damaging policies that harmed us economically, I mean, think about the inflation, the supply chain problems from all the sanctions, Think about all the money we spent. Think about the political and geopolitical diplomatic capital that was blown on what? On what? You know, I just saw um, the first lady of Ukraine spent $40,000 on a shopping spree in, in, in Paris. What exactly is going on there in Kiev? And why does everything seem to come back to Ukraine? And why do we even have Freedom Caucus members saying Zelensky is Churchill? What is going on? But a lot of you guys have asked me, you know, could you give a little update of what is even going on there? I think the perspective we kind of get, the policies that are wrong, but what is going on there? Is this a mirage? We don't hear anything about it. So with us today is a special guest, Lara Logan, and I think um, what is so needed about her voice is that we have a lot of talkers in this movement. A lot of people do what I do. I'd argue we do it better. We focus on policy solutions, the issues that matter. But we have a lot of commentators. We don't have a lot of original reporters because, again, most of them make a lot more money uh, reporting on fake news. And why not? That's what pays. Lara Logan lived in this world. Many of you remember her. I certainly remember all those years with the Iraq-Afghan wars, 16 years as a correspondent for 60 Minutes. And she didn't want to continue in that world. She'd rather focus on the truth and left. But you know what? It was viewed at the time that there was a great landing place because there's this great big alternative called Fox News until we find out, well, it's not really an alternative and in many respects, I believe, is more subversive, which is why they'll never have me on. Newsmax will never have me on. And where do you go? So Lara's gone independent. You can find her work at uh, Lara Logan, Getter, Twitter, Truth, Truth Social, Rumble. She's working on some new ventures we'll discuss, but many issues not limited to Ukraine, but definitely wanted to get into that. Lara, I've been meaning to get you on forever. It's truly an honor to bring you here to see our podcast for the first time. Thank you so much, Daniel. I'm really happy to be here. And really appreciate it. I know you're a little bit under the weather, so I appreciate you straining your voice. I always hate doing that. No, um, I'm happy. My, uh, Don't worry. I'm up good. on my vitamin D. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I got a two-year-old forever giving me colds. Um, look, you know, I, I pride myself on giving my audience the latest and greatest on the COVID issue for three years. I think we're very clear on what is happening, what has happened. It took a little while to un, unthread it. Um, but the next big thing was Ukraine. And we never saw anything like it, where you had this obsessive emotional indulgence, this kind of pseudo-populist groundswell that created irrevocable policy changes 
We now have $60 billion spent. Um, I'm hearing there's more in the omnibus bill, somewhere between 20 and $30 billion more. That would roughly take it to what we've spent on Israel in its lifetime, except there at least we could, you know, you could point to Iron Dome. You could show something tangible. Maybe here, no one even knows what is going on. So could you start with kind of, and I know this takes a little while, an understanding of what was Russia's objective, um, what you know, what was the pushback, and where do things stand? It looked like they would annihilate Ukraine, and then we were told, oh no, Ukraine's crushing them, and then it kind of fell off the face of the earth six eight months ago. So that that's where I left off. Could you could you pick up from there? Well, you know, I always go to the source, Daniel, right? Because it doesn't mean everything the source says is true, but it tells you a lot. And so if we go right back to the beginning here, what did Putin, what did the Russian president Vladimir Putin say was his motivation for going to Ukraine from the very beginning? And he made it very clear um, and said this, you know, repeatedly that Russia was going to get rid of the Nazis um, of Ukraine. And that was a very significant statement. Because, you know, most of us think of the Second World War. I mean, all, almost all of us, right? We, we won the war, the Nazis were defeated, and that's the end of the story. But actually, it's very interesting if you start to look at the history. Because what we now find, thanks to the, the CIA declassifying uh, Operation Paperclip and many other documents, the finders documents that are now available to people, um, you know, anyone can look this up. You don't have to take my word for it. In fact, I recommend that you don't. Um, and what you will find is that we brought a, a staggering number of Nazi leaders to the United States. Think about this. The bodies weren't even buried in the concentration camps, right? We didn't even know as the public the full horror of what had taken place. And yet we were already making deals with some of the worst people who ran that war, some of the greatest mass murderers in the Nazi regime. And we were bringing them to the United States. We were giving them safe haven. We were protecting them, jobs for life, and so on and so on. And we were lying about it. But also, most, you know, most people sort of dismiss that and don't think much about it. But what they don't consider is we also put those Nazi figures in key positions across our country. So we put them in very sensitive, classified uh, technology, uh, you know, like with biomedical, biomedical, you know, we put them at Fort Detrick, Maryland, and we took programs, you know, that were the signature of true um, evil, like MK Ultra and the programs of Joseph Mengele. And we continued those programs. We did them in the United States on U.S. soil, with the help of the Nazis. The head of Nazi intelligence helped to set up the CIA, right? So we created our spy agency with the help of the Nazi leader that we had been fighting for all those years. I I mean, I can think of no other war in history where the relationship was that close before the bodies were even cold. And it doesn't make any sense. But then what doesn't make more sense is that we don't even question it. Nobody questions it. There's no uprising from the Jewish community, either in the United States or anywhere else. We're just fine with it. And then you go to Ukraine. 
right? Because there's a huge outcry when Putin says, I'm going into Ukraine to clean out the Nazis. Okay, well, let's look at that. Yes, the, the Jews of Ukraine suffered indescribable hardship and torture and were massacred, right? It was inhumane what happened to the Jews of Ukraine, just as inhumane as what happened to Jews all over Europe and other places. So uh, why is that significant and relevant to today? Well, because the United States has a real history with the Jewish community and the Nazis of Ukraine. Alan Dulles, who was head of the CIA, protected Ukraine's Nazis from the Nuremberg trials and from um, any kind of accountability for what they did. And people have forgotten that the Nazis invaded Western Ukraine, yes, but they set up the headquarters of the SS there. And in yes. fact, you know, the people who were massacring people in Ukraine, many of them were Ukrainian Nazis, not German Nazis, but Ukrainian yes. Nazis. And they became effectively one and the same. And, you know, and, and by the way, I just want to stop you just right there. Just pause for a minute. Um, you know, my my family was 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 in America at the time. I don't have relatives that were that went through the Holocaust. But this is standard knowledge. What Lara is saying is standard in anyone with Jewish lineage from that part of Europe. They all understand that it wasn't primarily the Germans that were doing that there. The Ukrainians were the worst of the worst. Yes. And guess what? They were never held accountable. And we were a big part of making sure that never happened. Why, Daniel? Why? Why Why would the United States, with the full knowledge of the horror of the Second World War, make sure that we protected the people responsible? I mean, it truly is inexplicable. And it reminds you sort of of Afghanistan, where today we're working with the terrorists who were responsible for 9-11 and protecting them and helping them and helping them kill the people we spent 20 years training and fighting with. So that's also inexplicable. But it, it's sort of, it's very similar in a lot of respects. And so you start to, you, you start to think, well, this is, this is, if you weren't reading the CIA's own documents, you know, U.S. government documents, you'd think that you were going nuts. And then, you know, I, I'm reading papers, letters and arguments between American military commanders and people from the agency. And make no mistake, there were American military leaders who were working, who were in lockstep with the CIA. But there were others who opposed them. I remember one commander making a comment, you know, the CIA was pushing for them to protect three Nazi leaders and saying how, you know, they helped us negotiate and we need them and we owe them. And this military commander turned around and said, we won the war on the battlefield. We defeated the Nazis. We, we didn't negotiate a settlement. So we don't need these. What are, you, what are you talking about? We don't need these guys. And it's so, it's so representative of how we are. We get dragged into this, this uh, vortex of deception by people um, like the CIA. It's no different in many respects today. That's still going on. So you have all this outrage when Putin says, I'm going into, into uh, Ukraine to clean up the Nazis. And everybody says, oh, that's such a lie. And of course, they immediately yeah. turn to the emotional argument, talking about Baba Yar and the other terrible massacres of Jews in Ukraine. And they don't say anything about the fact that we all know, especially in the Western media, that the Nazis of Ukraine are alive and well. And not only that, but the Azov Battalion, which is the battalion part of that is part of the deception because when you have 5,000 members 
which the United States State Department had to admit to and acknowledge, when you have that many members, you're talking about more division than battalion. And that when you see that these people have the swastika um, as their emblem and as their flag, and that they are you know, self-confessed, avowed, open Nazis, that they, uh, they're not neo-Nazis. They didn't arise as a result of, you know, new people coming up and, you know, and deciding this is what they believed in. They are literally the descendants of the actual Nazis of Ukraine. They're the same people. Yes. They believe in the same ideology and they use the, the same tactics and, you know, and so on. And yet who's arming them? We're arming them. The United States and NATO is arming them. And we want to sell. suddenly now we want to rush, you know, just push that under the carpet. We're going to pretend that's not happening. But here's something unfortunate for all of those leaders who are lying about this. There is something unfortunate is that in 2013-14, the United States under Obama participated in a coup, a color revolution in Ukraine. If you want to um, learn about it, you can watch a fabulous documentary by Oliver Stone called Ukraine Under Fire which was about this. You can look up Victoria Newland, Obama's Secretary of State at the time, on the streets of Ukraine, handing out cookies to people, right? And then you can also see a plethora of reporting from the BBC to NBC and so on. Al Jazeera, which is not known to being right-wing, right? They're a very left-wing organization internationally. You can see all of these people, including New York Times and so on, reporting on who? The Nazis of Ukraine. Because when they were on the streets of the color revolution and Obama was lying blatantly, saying things like, you know, the Ukrainians have the right to peacefully protest. And that if you actually took the time to look at the, on the, what was happening on the ground in Ukraine at the time, it was exactly the playbook for the summer of love, where the you know, entire cities in Ukraine are burning to the ground. And you're saying they're peacefully protesting. No, they're not. They're murdering people in the streets. You know, it's an absolute Well, it's bloodbath. kind of the prelude to BLM. <laughs> is it, no, but you know, you laugh, Daniel. But where do you think Antifa, where is one of their main training bases? It's in the Ukraine. It is mm. literally the prelude to BLM. It is literally. I mean, and, and isn't it odd that... You know, you have the uh, whole thing with Donald Trump over Ukraine, right, and corruption. And you have leaders in Ukraine desperately asking the U.S. to help expose um, what has been going on and the level of corruption in the Ukraine. And what you find out is that the Obama White House brought Ukrainian officials to the United States to the White House for anti-corruption training. I don't know about you, but I've been a journalist for more than 35 years now. And I have never heard of officials from one of the, what is designated as one of the most corrupt countries on earth Failed coming state. to the White House yeah. for personal one-on-one training in anti-corruption. What? And, and I'll tell you, I did not see this coming because like everyone else, you know, it was a failed state who paid attention to it, but everything seems to come back to it. Um, you, like you said, the, the forerunner to Antifa and then obviously the biomedical experimentation, the bio labs there, the COVID Great Reset. It all seems to tie in the Russian collusion, the impeachment of Trump emanated from there. And then shockingly, a lot of the Trump allies in Congress, um, their only criticism of the Biden administration is that they didn't give enough money quickly enough to Zelensky. And based on what you're saying, it now makes sense to me why there was such a media obsession to portray Zelensky as Jewish, which my understanding from the Jerusalem Post is that it's not really true. 
um, to completely obfuscate the core issue that you're that you're pointing to. Of course, it has to be because we all know Nazis as bad guys, which they are. So if Putin is killing Nazis, that would make him a good guy, right? Not that it wouldn't make him Mother Teresa, but in this fight, it would mean yeah. that at least the average person would say, wait a minute, why is Putin killing Nazis? I thought I was told Putin was all bad, and I was told Nazis uh, were all bad. But now uh, the Ukrainians are the good guys, except what do you mean they're Nazis? Now, this would, you know, and this would cause people to look a little more closely. And what you find when you look a little more closely is that the United States under Obama, with the CIA, installed their government of choice in the color revolution. And then look a little more closely at eastern Ukraine. Remember when uh, Putin annexed Crimea and, you know, Obama didn't recognize the vote of uh, Crimea when they said they wanted to secede and be part of Russia and so on and so on. People don't know the history. You know, Ukraine is a Warsaw Pact country, right? It goes back to the Warsaw Pact. It goes back to the fact that Ukraine is a territory, not really a country. And it's under Russia's protection. But no, that's inconvenient. We don't want that part of history to be known. We don't want to understand why the people of Crimea might have voted to be part of Russia. Well, did it have anything to do with the fact that the government we installed in Kiev was murdering people across eastern Ukraine? Did it have anything to do with uh, what was happening in Odessa and Lugansk and, you know, all across the Donbass region where you can still today find the mass graves? of Ukrainian men, women, and children who have been murdered by the government in Kiev using U.S. missiles, right, and U.S. Uh, uh, ammunition, and with the U.S. blessing. And there's a there's an, a journalist, George Elias, and an American journalist who's been living over there for many years. George has been reporting on this. He, I, I have a video, I've seen video of his, where he's standing in the mass graves there as they're exhuming them showing um, and interviewing people who lost children in these. You can see footage online in Odessa when the uh, people in Odessa had, you know, were, were wanting to secede and wanting to go with Ukraine and standing up for uh, Russian nationalism and so on, which is what they chose. I'm not a, a blessing off on it. It's what they chose. You see um, that they set fire to a building in Odessa, which was full of protesters. And people are jumping out the windows, and as they're jumping out the windows and coming out the doors, they're being murdered. They're being shot, literally just executed. And so there are many atrocities that have happened across the eastern region of uh, Ukraine, which is why many of the people there, apart from the history, apart from the fact that they speak Russian, apart from the fact that there is a shared identity there, they want to be part of Russia. But we in the West think that we can speak for everyone. We can speak for all the people of Ukraine and we can decide who they want to be part of and who they're allowed to be part of and so on and so on. And it just doesn't work that way. And so when Putin says, I'm cleaning house and I'm getting rid of, of Nazis, it happens to be true. We may not like it, but it doesn't and it doesn't mean that Putin is innocent of every other crime he's ever been accused sure. of. But it does happen to be true in this case. And I will tell you about one other thing, um, Daniel, you touched on the pharmaceutical companies. 
right? I mean, we know that Ukraine is awash with money laundering and oligarchs and so on. And I love when they pretend that it's just the Russians, you know, just Russian oligarchs, right? It's just, uh, it's only them who are corrupt. Anyone who would believe that, right? I mean, you're so ideologically blinded at that point if you actually believe that. But remember when the Ukrainian ambassador to the U.S. broke with diplomatic history and became the first foreign ambassador ever to serve in the United States who who wrote and picked a candidate. He wrote a, uh, an editorial for the papers, and he publicly said that the government of Ukraine would not support Donald Trump and that they would only support Hillary Clinton. Diplomats in foreign countries never take a side politically. It is the absolute no-no of diplomatic mm. protocol because obviously as a diplomat, you have to serve whoever's in the country and it's not your choice. You don't get to vote. You're a foreigner, right? But yet the Ukrainian ambassador did that. Why? How was that? Why did he break with diplomatic protocol to do that and be part of the disinformation campaign that was meant to convince Americans that Donald Trump was such a danger, right? He was such a danger that we, we couldn't possibly vote for him because it would lead to Oh, the kind of Nazism that you see in Ukraine. And I want to tell you that after the um, color revolution, when you had all these journalists that were used to covering Ukraine and uh, doing these glowing stories about the revolutionaries of Ukraine, guess what they were becoming concerned about, those journalists? They were becoming concerned about the fact that the Nazis, that the people who they glorify during the color revolution as being the protesters, they were emerging and showing themselves to be Nazis. And, there's and that was reflected in, in, in some concerns of Democrats on the on the Foreign yes. Relations Committee Correct. at the time. They did express that, which people forget about. Correct. And then and what they um, you know, there was a lot of talk about the biolabs. First, they denied that there were any biolabs. Then, you know, evidence emerged like the maps of the biolabs labs on the U.S. website. Right. And so they had to admit it. Then they try to explain them away. So what, for, for people who are confused about that, what really happened was that at the end, uh, at the fall of the Soviet Union, Russia had many biolabs uh, across Ukraine. And uh, the Ukrainians obviously took those over. The U.S. wanted to take over and destroy the stockpiles of uh, anthrax and so on under the uh, Defense Threat Reduction Agency, DITRA. Part of their job was to go in with American scientists, some of whom I, I have talked to, um, and no, and uh, was to convert those labs into health labs, right? Um, health facilities and uh, use them for good as opposed to bad is the basic, you know, uh, program, right? And they did do that in some cases, but not all. And what they leave out of that narrative too is that most of those bio labs had fallen into disarray or disuse. The anthrax stockpiles were old and so on and so on. This hadn't been a focus of uh, the Soviet Union towards the end. It didn't have enough money. It didn't have enough energy, you know, all of those things. And so um, then we faced the question of what else was happening in those biolabs outside of the Defense Threat Reduction Agency's government programs? Because what did they do? They brought in contractors. And this is what we see over and over again. I want people to recognize the playbook. When the U.S. government wants plausible deniability, when they don't want their hands dirty, right, they want to still do the program, i.e. COVID, developing the and, and 
uh, doing gain-of-function research on viruses. But they don't want the responsibility, and then Congress bans it, so you can't have the responsibility. Well, it's just like here. The U.S. can't supply Patriot missile defense systems to a Warsaw-packed country. So what are they doing now? They're going to get, you know, they're going to train the Ukrainians and get them to operate them. They find ways around all of these things. But what happened in what has happened recently in Ukraine that people are not aware of that you may not be able to confirm because this is the kind of thing that they would deny. But I have uh, but I understand from very uh, solid sources that um, U.S. 20 U.S. pharmaceutical companies operations in Ukraine have been wiped out. They've been absolutely obliterated. It took about two weeks. Are the Russians? Well, that's a very interesting question, Daniel. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I can say. Indeed. Indeed. Um, And and the thing is, it's it's not just Ukraine. I mean, it was in other Soviet satellites, Georgia. And in general, this is their modus operandi in, in Africa. They pick a failed state with weak institutions. They set up shop do their experimentations. I would not have indulged or believed any of this before COVID. Um, But that obviously opened all of our eyes that this has been going on for a while. And I think what's what's very disturbing about the broad picture you've painted, and man, we've just scraped the surface here. And and I think this, this explains a lot of the political divide, particularly generational in, in my space and conservative media. A lot of the baby boomers are still stuck on Reagan's America. And, and they cannot bring themselves to understand that our government, the way it's constituted, is not a force for good anymore. Um, and it's very hard to come to grips with because it flew in the face of a lot of our messaging, you know, back in the George W. Bush days and, and post 9-11 and everything. Um, but, I mean, for me, COVID really did change that. And I realized, oh, it's not just kind of bureaucratic and inefficient and and even yeah. a little corrupt, there's there's some serious problems there. And I think what a lot of the people, a lot of these you know, Freedom Caucus members that reflexively went after Putin, we're going to sanction him, cut off our nose despite our face, uh, treat Zelensky like he's God's gift to the world when he's a WEF puppet. It's because, you know, this is the old days of Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan and Pope John Paul fighting the Soviet Union. But in fact, um, NATO and our own government are the bigger communists than Russia is. You know, it doesn't mean Russia's great, but, you know, we're the ones engaging in all this behavior, this transformational behavior. Um, and, 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 and again, I'm also riveted by the way you constructed the, 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 the Nazi history there in Ukraine, but also tied it back to the original Nazis in Germany. Uh, you know, Steve Dace and I are coming out with a book, Rise of the Fourth Reich, next month um, about the biomedical tyranny and the lead ship in the Nazi armada was the biomedical security state. Of course, and why do you think elements it's so... of our government was very impressed with that? Yes, not just uh, the biomedical security state. I mean, Daniel, you know, we put these fancy words on it, right? And we we mask what it really is. I mean, you know, people were up in arms when I said uh, on Fox News, you mentioned, you touched on the fact that Fox took me off air. And it was because I was asked, you know, uh, Fauci says he's science, right? And is that how, uh, how do you see it? And I said, well, you know, I talk to a lot of people. When I talk to them, they don't tell me, <coughs> they don't, <coughs> excuse me, see Fauci so much as science. They see him more as Dr. Joseph Mengele. 
And, um, and that is what I was hearing from people over and over and over again. They were telling me Fauci was going to become known and would go down in history as one of the greatest mass killers the world has ever seen. Because of all those things I'm sure you've discussed many times on the show, withholding treatments that were available all over the world, but doing it yep. knowingly and intentionally. You know, putting um, uh, COVID into nursing homes on purpose because you knew yeah. it would it would inflate the numbers. It would it, you know and create the appearance of a deadly disease and a crisis and and so on and so on. We could go on uh, forever. Yeah, with well, COVID. I'm but- actually looking right now at an email. He was warned warned about remdesivir in March 2020. But, you know, it's like, oh, oh there's you, a New England Journal of Medicine study. It, yeah. you know, causes more renal failure, killed more people than any other therapeutic for Ebola and had to be pulled from a trial. Let's go use it as standard of care. You can't bridge that divide. That's not just pay for play. There's something much deeper than that. It's, it's not just intent. a typical kind of pharma greed going on there. No, it's intent. And if you look back at HIV, they did exactly the same thing, right? They did exactly the same thing with the treatment with HIV and they they sold a drug that uh, mimicked the progression of the disease. So it took people forever to work out that it wasn't the disease that was killing their loved ones. It was the actual treatment. And who signed off on all of that? Dr. Fauci. Who was the one pushing the clinical trials? Dr. Fauci. Who was the one doing the experiments on foster kids, most of them black kids in seven American states? Dr. Fauci, right, including babies babies and there's photographs of that and it's well documented right and so um uh, this is you know it's when you um when you judge everything based on what we know like we didn't know they were bringing nazi leaders back right we were still bearing our dead and they were bringing nazi leaders back and protecting them and not only that but they were taking the programs of dr joseph mengele and they were implementing them in the united states and people look up Mengele. He didn't die until the early 1990s. Dr. Joseph Mengele did not mm. die immediately uh, after the Second World War. He, you know, he was hunted down by a Mossad hit squad. And what one intelligence professional said to me when I asked him uh, about it, he looked at me and he said, and why do you think he was killed? And, you know, obviously he is the worst of the worst. Right. I didn't call him Dr. Death for nothing. The man is just pure evil. And what he did to the Jewish people is unforgivable. But so you make the assumption that that's why he was killed. And this guy looked at me and shook his head and he said it wasn't what he did during the war. It was what he did for us afterwards. And then you start to look into it and you find, oh, MKUltra, that was a Nazi program. You know, oh, this, that was a Nazi program. Oh, this guy, he was a Nazi and then you start to peel it back a little bit further. Tom Steyer's uncle, who was he? Well, he was a famous footballer. Where? For the Nazis. Oh, and John Kerry's family. Well, they ran the watch. His cousin, the Villa Kerry. What was the Villa Kerry? The Villa Kerry was a safe house in Austria where many of the Nazis on their way to Latin America, that's where they stopped and mm. got their papers. Who provided the Nazis with documentation to travel internationally? Oh, the Red Cross. The Red Cross provided their passports. Oh, wait a minute. You know, and, and uh, Bill de Blasio, what's his real name? Wilhelm Werner Jr. is his real name. And then it says, on, of course, online, you can research it. Bill de Blasio says he changed his name because he was abused by his father. Well, how would we ever know if that's true or not true? We wouldn't know. And would you question <laughs> it when it's a, 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 the reason like that? No, you'd never question it because that would seem unseemly. 
you know, to question whether someone was abused and so on. So, you know, the, my point here, Daniel, is that this history is not as old as we think. And yet we don't want to know anything about it. We're uncurious. And the natural human condition is to be curious. So when we are, when we behave in the app where there's the absence of normal, I have learned over my career that the absence of normal is a red flag. Why? Because normal is natural. That's what happens. That's what happens. Mm. And, and it's really yes. interesting to me with Ukraine because, uh, you know, we suddenly have a country that it's all important to people on both sides to, uh, to protect. It doesn't matter that there are Americans who cannot, uh, who yeah. are, are literally starving, who can't feed their children this Christmas in the United States. Never mind, you know, uh, buy Christmas gifts and have a real uh, uh, celebration. No, what you have is people who are suffering immeasurably, and yet we're sending billions and billions of dollars to defend uh, a place that we have lied and lied and lied about. And I want to say one thing to you about what you your your uh, assessment there of you know the the Reagan era and how the Freedom Caucus is is all in for Ukraine in spite of the obvious here. I would say to you that. These are the issues that expose the fact that we don't have two sides. These are the issues no. that reveal to us the true nature of our government as a uniparty. Because you have people... Taxes, who- guns, and abortion is what they won't stop talking about. But that's why I have a motto, the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter. And that's all... COVID was the same thing. Now it's like okay to be like yeah we shouldn't have shut down schools and shouldn't have had mandates maybe children shouldn't get the shots but not that these are bioweapons that from cdc's own v-safe data show caused a cataclysmic degree of damage right always two years behind on the issue that matters and 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 larry you have an international perspective not two years behind timing is everything right timing is everything so what they're doing is letting the policy play out and then they're Play playing out. their roles. They're playing their roles. They're, they're, and, and they're avoiding accountability. It's much but worse. If you have an international perspective, I want you to give a sense to our audience. So I could, you know, we all often say the Republican Party is a controlled opposition. And, and, and it is. But the thing is, it's not about the Republican Party. Name me a single Western government that has a legitimate party that stands for the people. I, I don't know of one. If anything, the Republicans have a handful of people that accidentally get in there that once in a while are decent. You go to Canada, you go to Australia, UK, it's even worse. Well, it's interesting, though, that you say that because people, um, you know, here and there, not many of them, but here and there, people are standing up in Australia. And it's the same thing in the UK. Mm. Look, these these countries are going through exactly the same thing that we're going through, where they have thought that there were two parties or multiple parties. They have thought that people were opposed. And you may have, you will have found that there were people who genuinely believed those things, who were sincere, right? I mean, like there are people who genuinely uh, believe, look at the the abortion issue and the right to life. And there are people that seem to be on opposite sides. And that is genuine, that they view that issue very differently. But that doesn't mean that the structures that have been set up are as sincere as those individuals. 
some of them maybe, yes. like you say, you have leaders who are sincere. They don't know. There's the seat. There's the rest of us going in. And that's something that I learned when I was, you know, on Capitol Hill, having um, speaking at a breakfast with a with a number of congressmen, and they were like, you know, they were arguing about the vote on Lloyd Austin, for example, and they were saying uh, it, it's not worth it. You know, if uh, Congressman Scott Perry, he voted against confirming Lloyd Austin. And what I learned was no one in that room thought that Lloyd Austin was qualified to be SecDef, but only one of them, Scott Perry, had the courage to vote against him. And they uh, they said, well, why do you think? Well, because we'll be accused of being racist. <laughs> and, and, you know, we can't afford that. Even though it's not true, it's not worth it. And so, and, and that that's another thing. It, it's it's so you talk about there's a natural curiosity, but then there's other natural or somewhat unnatural factors that quelch and mitigate that natural curiosity. Racism is one of them, and and then like anti-vax is the new racism. So it doesn't matter how many people die suddenly. That we have two years of, of 2,500 case studies and, you know, over a thousand peer reviewed studies and surveys and life insurance data. It doesn't matter. 90% of Republicans will not touch it. They will not touch it. So Just it's not like a matter they won't of touch election fraud. It's they won't touch election fraud. They won't yep. touch Ukraine. And I think a lot of this also, so a lot of them are controlled opposition, but then there's a whole nother group I think is sincere. But it's all—it's also natural to not want your entire world to collapse around you, and you don't want to believe that everything you've fought for or everything you believed in is is a fraud. You just don't want to believe that, and I think there's a big part of that there. Um, so they kind of revert back to that inertia of the same fake issues they fight over, and you know well, the, Daniel, the, the, the so this is yeah. the thing I would say to you about that, right? I mean. You're not wrong. But once again, let's go back to what these people know. Because when you're elected, you now have the ability to request briefings on all kinds of things. You have a security clearance. Sure, you're not, you know, secure compartmentalized information at the very top of the government, unless you're on a committee. (laughs) And then you have the ability. You can go down to Customs and Border Protection or to ICE, or to Border Patrol, and you can get classified briefings. There is no more excuse. I'm sorry, but there just isn't. And this thing of not wanting to face the truth, it's too bad. You know, I don't care anymore, because we're talking about, you're still subjecting children to having to wear masks in some places. I mean, I still am Philadelphia just announced today they're, they're doing it. Well, there you go. And it's not going to end here. We're not done with this. I mean, they told us that from the very beginning. They said this is the new normal. So what is it going to take for us to go back to lockdowns? Uh, you know, when, when the new um, Congress members and so on, when all that kicks in in January after the midterms, right? What are we going to see? Uh, I mean, how many of you would be willing to bet that we're going to see lockdowns in Democrat-controlled areas? That start immediately. And, and it's worse than the lockdowns because that Republicans might oppose. But this entire new normal of mRNA rushed, I don't even think they're rushed. I think that's the wrong word for it, but almost like bioweapons, 
you know, that's, and, and I always say that's a bigger deal than abortion. I mean, everyone knows what they're getting when you get an abortion that's informed consent. I mean, you can't miss it. Here, people genuinely think vaccines generally are good, and they don't know the difference. They're coming out with an RSV one. Moderna has 15 more mRNAs, many of them in phase three trials now. And, you know, there's no backstop. And what bothers me, and this has really been your wheelhouse for so many years, I watch the Republicans gearing up for investigation. So vaccine injury is off the table, not even looking at that. They're, the entire COVID thing is on the origins. But even the origins, they're all making about NIH and the funding. But as you well know, HHS is not really the issue. They're a bunch of schleppers. It's the Intel defense biomedical establishment. That's really where it's coming from. But historically, the Republicans have this impervious affinity for just endless funding of anything that they slap the label national security on without any circumspection, without any oversight. So all like, you know, the NDAA they just signed, 858 billion, more, 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 more money, more money. Um, I did a word search. It mentions Ukraine 158 times in the NDAA they just uh, passed last night. And, and there's a lot of biomedical stuff in it. But Republicans supported even more because you mentioned military and like, oh, we all love the military. That, I think, is really where the threat of a lot of this transhumanism, a lot of the, the vaccine stuff comes from. I think don't, – don't you agree that DOD is more of a problem than, than HHS? You know, to me, they're one and the same. They're just different <laughs> arms of the same beast, Daniel. They're not, they're not better or worse. HHS is trafficking children. HHS is bringing children, uh, uh, you know, taking children that cross the border illegally and sending them all over the country on behalf of the traffickers and the cartels. They're using our tax dollars to do it. They're selling kids to private companies, LLCs, church groups, and foundations so they can be trafficked. And that's what they're doing. They're handing them over to criminals and to pedophiles. They're, they're, they are, again, one of those words that mask the reality so that they can be raped and tortured and murdered for money and for power and for pure evil. I mean, and they're doing it on an industrial scale right now. We are the number one country in the world for sex trafficking. That's HHS. What about your child protective services? 55 kids a day go missing from the child protective system in this country. They disappear, disappear. Where are the Republicans on that? Where are the Republican governors? Where's Greg Abbott since much of it is happening in his state? You know where they are? Uh, Doctors are still being, having their licenses yanked for not wearing a mask in Texas. We know one there that that has that problem. And, and yeah, I mean, at the border, I was, you know, I'll never forget a border agent friend of mine told me this 15 years ago when I was covering the border that, look, this is the ultimate manifestation of, of organized crime. It's public Correct. as anything, and organized crime cannot persist without political protection on both sides of the border. It's not some natural disaster that's like, well, we need some more money and assets and yeah. you know, border patrol agents. They have three times more border patrol agents than they had at the beginning of the 2000s. It's not a, it's not a asset problem. It's a policy problem. It's a willful problem. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're kind of disenfranchised. Daniel, they have the policy they want. That's the problem. They (laughs) have the policy they want. If they didn't, they would do something about it. How do you have a committee investigating Benghazi and you end up nowhere? 
How do you investigate? We have clear evidence that the IRS was targeting Christian groups and no doubt still is. And what are you, what do you do? You investigate it and you allow them to get away with the fact they say that the emails are destroyed, but we live in the digital era and no, nothing digital is ever destroyed. Why do you allow the FBI to get away with limiting the scope of the investigation into Hillary Clinton to four and a half seconds in time and allowing Susan Rice, who wasn't her attorney at the time the crimes were committed, to claim uh, attorney-client privilege and become her attorney? I mean, why do the Republicans allow them to get away with all of this over and over and over? Because the same reason why all but 19 voted to fund the full budget last night with more Ukraine funding, correct. even after they all admit because they don't know where it's going. The same team. They are same team. one and the same. When you say two sides of the same coin, you know, you referred to communists and we talked about Nazis. So where, where do they stand? Uh, do, who, who believes in free speech? Oh, that's right. The communists don't. Neither do the Nazis. Who believes in free markets? No, they don't. Freedom of religion? No, also not there. You could just keep going down the list because they dress up in different uniforms and they put different names on it and they have different sim- symbols and they claim, you know, to be the Antifa, we're the anti-fascists. No, I mean, you're just uh, one side of the same fascist coin. You're both fascists. And if you trace the funding, it's like the mechanism of action of certain drugs like ivermectin, it would fill up certain pathways so the virus couldn't do it. So that's what it is. They there's always a market for two sides of a story. Everyone knows there's two sides to a story. If you just had one, people would rebel. So they preemptively block the pathway of a legitimate opposition and. And this, this is what I've been wasting my life with for, for all these years. I mean, this is what it is. All my colleagues, they, they, they focus on, I mean, they get all excited about these Senate races where, I mean, the Republicans aren't even promising anything, just prima facie. They're the same thing. This is what we're struggling with, but we're almost out of time. I just want, uh, before I let you go, um, and boys, there's so much to get into uh, we got to have you back in the new year as well. Um, what are some new ventures? Where are you headed? Because again, I think you know what you bring to the table is the ironclad facts, the sourcing, the wealth of 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 sources from covering wars and international relations for so many years. And I think this is what our movement really needs more than just you know talkers. So so could you discuss some of your plans for the new year? Yes, I'm working on, so, I, you know, at 60 Minutes, um, we, I really learned the discipline and the art of long-form investigative journalism where, you know, which is uh, where you take the time to figure out the truth, but also to, to bring the, the words and the pictures and, uh, and the truth together in a way that is memorable and tell these stories so that people uh, don't forget. And you give people, you arm and equip people with the, the, the facts so that they can make up their own minds. That's how I've always seen my job, not to convert people. I'm not an activist. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not setting out to prove a case or to convince you or to give calls to action and all this stuff. That's for other people. But that's my job. And so um, and what I'm concerned about is that the art of doing that, the discipline of doing that is being lost. I took that yes. um, into a longer format on, on Fox Nation 
when it's my show, Lara Logan has no agenda. And it was extraordinary to me that it was so successful um, because I, you know, um, no one has, has replicated 60 minutes and no one else has taken that long form. And they're really, if you think about it, there's only a handful of reporters who've ever done that at that level and know uh, how it's done. And so I feel like if I don't continue that tradition and, um, and that very important discipline, then it's going to be lost. So I want to do... It absolutely will. Right. And, and, you know, a lot of people are, because of the technology, they're able to create a podcast and interview people and do shows. And that's, that's phenomenal. We need that. But we also need that, that real investigative journalism and the discipline um, not to be lost and the principles and the standards to be preserved. So I'm, I'm doing two things. One, I'm raising the money to do my show on my own, on my own platform, my own encrypted um, you know, software to be built like, a, you know, like a, an aircraft carrier, right? You won't be able to take it down. And yet, at the same time, establish the Press Club USA to provide a home for other journalists, because I'm not the only one who, who knows about the standards and the principles and has the experience of real journalists. Yes. And there's many others We've, we've out seen there. a couple local reporters kind of jump ship recently and Exactly. Do their own April thing. Moss, Ivory Hecker. I mean, these are great people, and they've done extraordinary work. And we need a home for them and the other journalists, like James O'Keefe and Andy No, who writes on Antifa, and... Uh, Drew Hernandez yes. has done phenomenal stuff, you know, with Kyle Rittenhouse. So reporting. people like me could then take that and drive it as an, you know, a hammer on an anvil to demand the policy changes in state legislatures that I work on, you know, the policy outcomes. But in order to reach critical mass on that, you have to have cathartic moments. And those are driven by original reporting that exposes the, the truth. truth on a critical matter. They're driven by the truth, Daniel. And we need we need people who are willing to stand up for the truth and for the and follow the facts no matter where it leads them politically because they just are not owned. Nobody owns me. And that's the great thing about being, you know, canceled by everyone, including people I don't even work for, like Newsmax, you know, is, is that it only reinforces what I have said every day of my life that I don't work for you. I work for something called the truth and I'm going to do my job the same at 60 minutes as I'm going to do it, you know, with my own team. And we need a place where journalists, independent journalists, you know, and uh, experienced journalists have a home because, you know, I, I learned a lot from being around uh, other journalists and being in a newsroom, having a boss that said to me, you know, what the hell are you talking about? That's ridiculous. Did you do this? Or did you ask that? Or, you know, sure. and, and so, and what happens when you are create your own show in your own environment and you have never been around other journalists or worked in a newsroom is where are the checks and balances, you know, where are the people that are helping to guide you on ethical calls and, um, and that help to, you know, inform you of the standards and and remind you um, about what, you know, that there's a line between activism and journalism and so on and so on. So that's what I want to do is create a place like that where also um, people, investors and people who are just interested and concerned can meet with other journalists and can find out what projects they're doing, can invest if they want to. You can premiere shows and um, have speakers come. But also importantly, Daniel, it will provide accreditation for members of Press Club USA, which will be a real journalist accreditation because independent journalists don't have any form of proof or ID. 
that shows this is the job that I do. This is who I am. And they're not going to get it from the institutions, you know, that we have had for so many years who have now failed and betrayed us. And then also, you know, we, for those people who don't want to shop at Amazon because you don't want to contribute to the woke crowd, you know, and so on and so on. The list goes on, right? Where do you go? You need alternative institutions. Well, we need that for the media because uh, we can't keep Very looking. Very important. Yes, you can't keep looking and, and, to the mainstream media. And the media. parallel economies, we talk about this a lot here, parallel economies, it doesn't mean what everyone else is doing. And I would argue even what, I, what I'm doing because that's not parallel journalism. That's activism. Right. And, and that's why I really – I mean I was so excited because I had no idea what your politics were, which spoke to the power of what you did. No one knew. I, had, I was like, was what, irrelevant. she's like that? It was irrelevant. It was irrelevant. I was like, she's like that? I didn't know that. You know, And it was such a coup for us to get someone like that. And I, I would hope there's at least a few more. And again, there's signs that we're getting getting some. This is a terrific, terrific idea. I'd love to have you back when this idea matures more. It's ready to go. And but boy, Daniel, do I have a list of things I'd, I just I'd love to, to talk I to you about. I want to make one point that's really important. It's for people yep. to understand, you know, I follow the truth. And I'm not going to blindly follow party or party politics. If the Republicans were doing what the Democrats are doing today, I would be saying exactly the same thing. Right. And if I, you know, if I find I mean, with trafficking, for example, I call out the Republicans as much as I call out the Democrats. I mean, it just so happens that the Democrats have a different role. But anytime we use these terms, Democrat and Republican, we are using their terms. We are using their the enemy's terms. terms. We're playing on their turf and we're using their rules. And in fact, we're paying for their weapons. You go on Facebook, you're paying for their weapons. You're making them richer and richer. And you're asking them to pick your targets and dictate the terms of the fight that nobody ever want to battle that way. It's not how it works. You don't win that way. I would urge everyone, buy The Citizen's Guide to Fifth Generation Warfare by Michael Flynn and mm. Boone Cutler. It's just come out. And this is a book, Fifth Generation Warfare, helps you understand that these distinctions between Democrat and Republican, while there may be issues that divide people, the distinctions that we are used to are a trap and a deception. And it the is, new us is, and them... Yep. Really, the new us and them is humanity. They use Antifa and Marxism and communism. When Mark, Karl Marx wrote those doctrines, right, where did, he, where did he do it? He was hired by the Rothschilds to create a system of social control. It's no different. Nazism, national socialism, control, social media, Control, right? I mean, you just keep going centralized through Centralized authority. If centralized you social, authority is everything. That's right. Centralized authority in order to control humanity. We're in a war against humanity. And um, the sooner that we wake up and realize that and stop fighting the people who are also victims, stop fighting each other, the better chance we have of defeating this. Very well said. And what a way to end off the year here at CR Podcast. Really appreciate your generous time. Again, I guess we could follow you at Laura Logan. You're, you are back on Twitter, Getter, uh, Rumble, and you'll let us know where to find you. Yes, in it'll the be future. on lauralogan.com in the future when my show's up and running. Perfect. Really excited about this. Thank you for everything you do, speaking the truth, sacrificing for it, but we'll be better off for it. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thank you. And Daniel. really look Merry forward Christmas. to speaking to you. Take care. 
And folks, that about does it for the year. And and really, what a way to end off. A lot to digest there. Um, she brings so much to the table. It's it's again. It's I I recognize a a talent when I know I don't have it or ha- don't have a background in it. And you know, I feel I'm I'm supplying all of the meat and potatoes to activism that's missing in the activism commentary space. But what we don't have at all is original reporting that really could drive a lot of this. And I think that's a great, great idea. Obviously, a lot to to delve into, not just in Ukraine, but when you understand these catalyzing issues of our time, Ukraine, COVID, they have such a deeper background to them. And it's a very dark background. And it's been going on longer than we think. And just because it collapses our nice kind of you know, city, shining city on a hill image, it doesn't mean it's not true. And, you know, the earlier we do surgery, um, the better we'll be for it. Um, and, and and really, I love the way she framed it at the end. It's all, of, it's not, it's not about liberal versus gay, Republican, Democrat for sure, but it's not even about liberal and conservative. It's about human, are you pro-humanity or not? Pro-humanity. Um, it's that simple. It's this transhumanism versus prohumanism. That's really the dividing line. Um, but this is not the end. This is the last of the CR podcast for this year. We'll be back, uh, you know, in the new year. But a lot of what we do is ongoing. So you know, I'm going to continue writing columns the next two weeks. Email. We could email together if you find good legislation that you feel I need to highlight or bad things. I'm going to need your help. That's one of the things we're going to focus on because, again, I can't change the world. I can't change the CIA. We need people like Lara exposing it. Um, but I think, you know, you take a sliver, you take some states, you take some issues, we could make improvements, we could drive the narrative. And the more you expose the schism, the more likely it is we do the surgery that we ultimately need. Folks, thank you for your support. Thank you for a terrific year. Again, follow our Rumble Rumble channel at CR Podcast. We'll put out our videos there at C19 Truth Bombs on Telegram. Uh, Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com is the email. Hope you guys have a terrific holiday season. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Uh, Happy New Year's. Micah 6-8, do justice, walk discreetly in the ways of God, and we'll see you on the other end.